0: Welcome to The Men. I'm Alex, and with me as usual is James. You can check out our website, themcGuffmen.com, to keep up on our most recent podcasts. Uh, we most recently talked about You Can Count on Me, before that was No Time to Die, Paths of Glory, Pablo Lorraine's No, and Unbreakable. Uh, so yeah, themcuffman.com. All right, James. Um, we are talking about Batman Returns today, 1992's Batman Returns, uh, which follows 1989's Batman, which was considered a risky proposition by the owners, which is Warner Brothers. And, uh, as through the eighties, the Superman sequels had, or late seventies and eighties, the Superman sequels had seen diminishing returns. So something like Batman, which is obviously going to make a billion dollars when the new one comes out in February, wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't a sure thing to to those people in 1989 um but after the first film was a huge success Warner brothers wanted burton back and the way that they lured him in was one let him go off and make edward scissorhands and two tell him he could come back and make a tim burton movie as opposed to um working his ideas around a batman movie and that's what batman returns is uh i would say an aggressively dark not particularly faithful adaptation that's uh I don't know, it reminds me more of German Expressionism movies than it does modern superhero movies, and um, it's a really interesting watch 30 years later, you know?
1: And, yeah. You know. Uh, <laughs> I, you've probably seen these, but when they put every frame of a, a movie on a poster you can just see the dominant colors.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think it's pretty easy to guess where this one would be going. <laughs> it's like, like just the cover of this movie, like the the main poster, the gadget release poster. Um, it's so dark, and yeah, that uh, like physically, literally dark. Yeah. Um, yeah, the first Batman is, you know, you, you see Tim Burton's fingerprints on it. You know, I I don't think anyone else would have made that movie look like that. Uh, but this one is just so much, so much, uh, more clearly him doing what he wants.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and yeah, and I think the, I mean, the reason we are doing this movie instead of. Uh, 1989's Batman is just because this is a more fun conversation. We get to talk about a lot of the same things, but we also get to talk about certain things that we wouldn't necessarily get to talk about in uh, Batman. And where, whereas the first Batman, um, you know, there's German expressionism uh, influences in basically every movie Tim Burton's ever made. But uh, Batman, the first Batman sort of oscillates between being like a 1930s noir if you watch that movie, it looks like a black and white movie that's just shot in color. And Jack Palance is in some mob movie from 1938. It's amazing. Um, but but whereas this one, Batman Returns, it's more, um, it feels more pointed and more um, more singular, I guess. Even though I guess the first Batman is pretty singular. But this is, I guess this is Bat- Batman Returns' Batman turned up to 11. Or Tim Burton's Batman turned up to 11, you know. Yeah, um, and yeah. the character, actual character of Batman turned down to about a 5
1: <laughs> yeah that's true too <laughs> yeah. we'll talk about his characterization um, in a bit but I just sort of uh, have a, a device on my TV where you can look across all the streaming services that you subscribe to to see if you have this movie already so yeah. um, the tile that came up was this uh, it's actually an animated tile it wasn't the poster I was used to it said Batman Returns um, but the poster Was much different, and uh, is this just like an animated like remake of this, or is it the first one? And I started the movie, and it's that shot of Cobblepot Mansion, you know, right at the beginning, and mm-hmm. I still wasn't sure if it was animated yet. <laughs> you know, it's like, it, that's just Tim Burton's style. The, the colors are so wild, and the, the lines are all off, and it's such an atmospheric look that I still wasn't sure. Um, and, you know, you can see why that's sort of a, a perfect fit for Tim Burton. And uh, that's a bit of a chicken and the egg sort of or chicken or the egg sort of question like we associate him with those styles because he did these things so early that it informed our uh, opinion of him really early. but the way that he is obviously so enamored by animation mm-hmm. throughout his career um, mm-hmm. even when not doing things that are you know comic book source material I it, it seems like a good fit and it's not that I love this movie and think that that's the perfect marriage, but the way that they were so uneasy about him doing the first one, and then um, they were so happy to have him come back and do the second one. It's interesting when you consider the style he went on to to work with, you know, sometimes literally doing or directing or producing animation, the way that animation's all of the things that he did for the rest of
0: yeah and I mean he's trained as an animator as well too right yeah. so yeah um so yeah it makes sense that he would continue to work in the field that he originally started into and did a lot of concept art for various um very very popular movies in the 80s like uh Tron and the um is it called the black hole I forget, I never saw it um but none of his concept art was was actually used in it but um but yeah anyways uh and I think that the the Tim Burton style is a very, the frame is very set up. You know, there's the, the camera movement isn't particularly aggressive unless it is one of those shots um, where it's pretty obviously sort of animation or the, um, the one I'm thinking of is going to the penguins layer initially through that, that zoo, um, zoo exhibit where the camera is just flying around and it has to be miniatures. And the only way you could have done that in 1992 was through some sort of combination of animation and, or stop motion animation and traditional animation. And I still don't really know how they did it, <laughs> but it's yeah. an amazing shot. Um, and the, those intros that you're taught, or the intro shots that you're talking about of the, the Cobblepot um, mansion exterior, which has to be a composite of two different things because that window is not logical on that building. You know, <laughs> right. no yeah. architect would design that <laughs> unless that architect was Tim Burton or Bo Welch, I guess, the production designer. Um, but yeah, it is the this sort of, There is a real, um, halfway between animation and, um, and the real world that exists in this movie. And I think that it's for better, for better and for worse in this movie, like the action sequences, I feel like really, um, I think lack a certain, a certain vibrance that I feel like the, uh, the lack of camera movement really hurts. Um, but this movie's uh, an absolute visual feast. You know, I've I've seen Batman punch people in other movies, you know, like i yeah. I haven't seen uh the cobblepot m- manor in any other movie, you know, with those uh with Paul Rubin staring out the window and the camera turning past the Christmas tree and down this hallway of a doctor running out of this this very uh high ceilinged hallway and it's uh, it just grabs you right off the bat. It's just shouting, even though you've seen a movie that is a direct prequel to this, uh, made by the same, more or less the same team. You haven't seen a movie like this yet, you know? And, yeah. uh, they come at you pretty fast with, uh, throwing a baby, uh, into a sewer, you know, right off the bat.
1: Yeah, no, the, the stakes are incredibly high very early. And, uh, it's my understanding that he does that for a lot of his movies is have those, um, not necessarily tracking shots, but those kind of like following an object through a certain scenario or mm-hmm. following a person through, um, you know, a, a larger geographical space. And yeah, I find that it it is a good hook. Like, I find that very compelling. The combination of all those things you talked about, and then that get you through the credit sequence and stuff. Um, I think it starts well. I think that you're right that definitely not everything works. I mean, that's sort of the the gamble of doing a lot of weird things all mm-hmm. at once. Mm-hmm. Um, is a bit all over the place, but, uh, it, yeah, it's definitely engaging. There are times where I, I, I feel you sort of lose the thread of things and, um, things kind of fall out of the side as you're looking at the middle. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a big problem with this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, as you said, there's other, other, other movies that do that better. And at least we have a pretty, uh, unique entry into, uh, still continuing our series of franchises
0: yeah i agree and i mean as we talked about in the bond movies uh or sorry in no time to die like if the if the plot doesn't totally make sense in one of these movies that's not really what i'm coming coming at it for you just have to do one thing really great and um again batman returns as i said is like no movie um, I've seen even though again it's the second in this series of movies um, one of the things that I really enjoy about this movie is it's really interesting that for a comic book movie the most compelling character in it is somebody who as far as I know is not in the comic books in any way um, I think one I think basically everybody in this movie has I mean with the exception of maybe Michael Keaton as far as the actors go I don't think any any of them have ever done better work you know I think this is as somebody who really likes Christopher Walken I think this is my favorite Christopher Walken I think he's fantastic in this movie and I find Max Streck to be a really compelling character and um to a lesser extent I think the same is true of Danny DeVito and Michelle Pfeiffer um but but I think Walken is the real the real thing that I or the real attachment to this movie for me even though he is He's so over-the-top evil businessman, you know, um, from the way that he's styled to things that he says. Like, he literally says one can never have too much power. If my (laughs) life has a meaning, that's the meaning, you know? And, um, but I just, there's something extremely compelling. And he's so evil. He's more evil than a Bond villain, even though he's literally played a Bond villain about 10 years before this. Um, It's just... I find Shrek to be such a compelling character, and the idea that he is um, he runs he runs the city of Gotham, even though he's not the mayor. You know, when when people are trying to kidnap the when the penguins guys are trying to kidnap, um, who's in charge of the town? The mayor says, "I am, I'm the mayor," and they say, "Not you. This person. We want the person who's actually in charge." And it's Max Shrek. And I find that um, total willingness to just absolutely i think he's the pivotal character in the movie like everything that happens in the movie sort of hinges on him and how people react to the world that he has created you know or the world that he oversees and i just find that um a really interesting addition to this type of movie in general and also this specific movie
1: yeah yeah i don't know how i feel about him because it's it's yeah it's christopher walken being a very interesting villain so i it's I don't hate the time that he's on screen. I just, he seems like such an outlier maybe because he's not a Batman character or at least, you know, neither of I, neither you or I are huge Batman comic history experts. So maybe he does have some more uh, history than we're giving him credit for. Mm -hmm. Um, But he's certainly not a, a very central figure or hasn't been. And yeah, I don't know if he fits in here and I don't know. I don't know that his plot, is really again clear enough or engaging enough about mm-hmm. the the power plant and stuff? And mm-hmm. I, I, you know, we've already kind of conceded that that stuff cannot be a ten out of ten and still not make the movie a, a, a big problem. But I I think he's part of why it doesn't all work for me as much as I like the character on his own. It's um it he he does seem out of place. He seems like the the Harvey Dent that's not Harvey Dent or um yeah some some character that was added or stripped of certain other features and you just never get a grip you know you know he's a bad guy you know he, he <laughs> kills Selena Kyle you know he doesn't like he has this big scheme which again involves drawing power or something mm-hmm.
0: um oh he's trying to literally build a power plant you know like he's trying to create power you know? yeah
1: <laughs> yeah and i don't maybe i don't know that it's that it's too on the nose i, I it just doesn't feel as like menacing to me as his performance the the things about him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, this, if I think if this movie has a sort of clear problem for me, it's that it's a lot of nice pieces, but it's not a very nice necklace altogether. Mm-hmm. You know, that there, there's some really stylish things, um, some very compelling performances, as you said, the, and even just some very small touches like the 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 rubber ducky and just all this weirdness that you can never quite settle into yeah uh, i'm okay with i like a lot of that stuff but there's still i feel lack some some cohesion that that holds it back
0: okay um one what you were saying about the performances yes i agree it's like everybody every all the new characters were just said you can do the jack nicholson thing and they all knock it out of the park you know yeah yeah um and i think
1: it's more than one of those
0: no exactly and there are three of them you know and i think they're all fantastic but as far as the things it never really gelling for you i like i see it but i also kind of disagree because i enjoy i enjoy the way that um this movie I think uh elements of class are, are present. I mean, it's pretty obvious, you know. And I, I find the way that Oswald, uh, the penguin sort of attaches himself to Max and how that affects his his arc is is pretty interesting. It's the idea that um he's trying to ascend in society, but by ascending in, in society he's sort of descending as a human, you know, he sort of gets to a point where um, you know, Max brings him up to his level but also brings him down to his level you know he the penguin um really becomes the penguin as he's running for mayor and starting to gain more um more power and i i find the way that um max and bruce uh slash batman stand in opposition to each other like the idea that um max preys on the lower class for his own gain whereas bruce who is Uh, probably equally rich you know um at, at least in the logic of this movie whereas he uh despite having a similar amount of money will at least stand up for people who have less than than him you know um and that's sort of the whole basis of being batman is sort of being a defense mechanism for those who can't um protect themselves with the comforts that max shrek has um and I think the way that um, you know like I said Oswald comes from a lower class Selena comes from a lower class she's literally a servant uh, to Max you know she's she's the Alfred uh, to his Max at at some point it's just a, a much different relationship because it's a horrifying relationship you know yeah. as opposed to the borderline familial relationship between um, Bruce and Alfred you know it's Alfred is a servant but he never feels like a servant you know he feels important to Bruce whereas Selena absolutely is a servant to the point where um, Max will throw her out a window um, in one of the like many horrifying instances of violence against women in this movie which is kind of wild to think about given that it is a huge popcorn movie um, yeah. that begins by throwing a baby into the sewer and you can hear the baby crying as it goes over the edge um, and all the uh, uh, I think four, maybe five instances of women being pushed off of buildings, uh, in this movie. Um, but I think that that class element is, um, where I really get drawn to Shrek and, or to Max, who I try to keep calling Max so that we don't confuse him with the green monster. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, that's sort of, that's where I find him compelling. And also, um, uh, Walken's performance helps but i think that sort of class element is really interesting you know
1: yeah and his use for oswald is to like he uses him right he, he can't be that underdog um downtrodden citizen as max shrek because he's the santa claus of gotham or wildly wildly rich and famous yeah um so he's no longer really to, willing to are able to play that angle but um uses someone else in a position to do that for him
0: yeah for sure and as soon as oswald can no longer help him once batman uh plays that recording of the penguin while uh he's in front of those microphones like literally the second that he realizes the public has turned on oswald we get a shot of max literally walking away and shrugging you know like well i'm done with you you know you can't do anything for me anymore i'm out um i find that interesting and this i mean of course uh this movie in general, I think um, another one of the interesting elements of it is its sort of stance on big business in general. And um, the fact that it is, or at the time, was one of the five most successful movies that's ever been released. And it's so uh, so aggressively, um, oh, I, don't, I don't even know if I can call it anti-capitalism or just sort of um, against people who fully lean into capitalistic uh, ideas, I think that that is something that's really idea- uh, interesting and is always going to be um, a fun contradiction to me. Is the questioning of spending all of this money on all of these things in something that spends so much money on things that are not really helping the public good? You know what I mean? Yeah, um, I find I find that an interesting uh, an interesting thing as well.
1: Yeah, no, I, the way that we talked about the the movie being such an odd combination of things too i think that works you know with what you're saying with the messaging of it that this thing that costs so much money and you know had tie-ins with mcdonald's like the most kind of <laughs> corporate family uh things out there uh, had those messages inside it and we haven't really talked about the sexual elements of this movie which you know like the like some of the violence against women and children and stuff is, um, you know, really shocking for a popcorn movie. Mm-hmm. And as many parents at the time were quick to note, I mean, we've got um, pretty sexualized female characters and talking um, like the. I, mean, I just mean, some of the, the language use is pretty. It's not exactly sexual, but it's so, so, so thinly veiled yeah. and sexual. Mm-hmm. Um, these aren't clever winks at the, the parents in the audience right these are uh really really blatant and just to have that um i guess not contradiction but that sort of wide range of uh material and the fact you can get it in, you know as a happy meal toy is still is just this really really big um yeah. difference in in uh maturity levels i guess <laughs>
0: Yeah, for sure. And, um, yeah, I still have a Happy Meal toy from this movie and it is not an accurate representation of what this movie is in any way. Well, yeah, you can't string like four
1: minutes together of this movie that there's not something that, you know, you could reasonably see a parent being upset about bringing their, I don't know, 12 year old to yeah. right?
0: Yeah, yeah, No, it's, it's pretty horrifying. Um, I don't <laughs> think, I know some, like, I, I feel like in my life I've known some 20 year olds who shouldn't have seen this, shouldn't see this movie, you know, it's too, too much. Um, <laughs> yeah I I, that is always interesting to me and the fact that um the first Batman production was so difficult it was uh, famously difficult to get off off the ground um and Burton faced a lot of criticism that was from the studio and from uh fans reacting to things like uh, Michael Keaton's casting or whatever um and that was part of his hesitance in um coming back to Batman was uh that he I think it was primarily John Peters, who I believe is famously a nightmare and difficult to work with. Um, it was dealing with him again. That was, that was difficult uh, for him the first time and and sort of pushed Burton away from the idea of doing a sequel. And that's why they really sort of had to give him uh, the world or let him make his world um, to, to get him back in the room. And I think that um, that also adds another interesting um, element to the idea of the villain of this movie, just sort of being, uh, a naked capitalist trying to wring as much money out of everything that he possibly can. Um, uh, one of my favorite pieces of production design in this movie that is just dripping with fantastic production design is the um, the padded walls of Max's boardroom. I think that's a really, uh, really nice touch. Like, it's just a, a room in an insane asylum. Like, <laughs> nobody should ever want to be in a boardroom, you know? Um, I, I just find that so, so cool. It's like the weirdest looking room no human would ever... Work in that room, you know, <laughs> and uh it's just such a cool uh, little design design choice, and I very much enjoy it. Also, uh Bruce throwing that report across the table is hilarious every time.
1: I know, and I, and I don't know why I like that so much, but it's like one of my five things of I can't quite put my finger on why this is so good, but it's it's just unique and dynamic, and it, you know, I just haven't seen that exact thing before. And yeah. yeah. It, add so much for some reason
0: (laughs) yeah and i think having the shrek having the um that wall of celebrity photos is also sort of a very funny touch um to him just sort of you know showing off his accomplishments like look at me standing next to sammy davis jr aren't i amazing you know (laughs) I, i i find that um all really compelling and and um further to the Shrek or the Max discussion that I find very interesting is the placement of this movie during Christmas. Right. And I, I enjoyed the way that this movie uses Christmas as sort of an idea or how we think about Christmas and that, you know, when you take away the actual origin of Christmas and that it's a religion, religious holiday, this movie seems to take the approach that it's a holiday for, um, celebrating the good of humanity or being good to human beings um and christmas i think we can agree is sort of become more of a um a a holiday driven around purchasing things you know that's sort of the way that advertisements have led us to believe for our entire lives you know um predating our existence you know and i think the the fact that this is a movie that comes out in 1992 when you're doing most of your Christmas shopping at a department store. And the fact that Gotham Santa Claus is somebody who owns a department (laughs) store uh, with his name on it, I think is, is just a really cool uh, touch. And I think it's this really dark view on Christmas and such a, such a dark movie, you know, it's sort of the idea of um, no matter, you know, the original intent being sort of skewered by um, more negative leanings of, of certain human beings in power, you know?
1: yeah yeah and the and that he's so up for like i, I am the santa claus <laughs> yeah. it's right there
0: <laughs> yeah and him saying in that speech i wish i could hand out world peace unconditional love wrapped in a big bow you know i mean you could do more than you're doing you know you can not pollute uh in the city your lagoon of toxic waste from that sort of quote-unquote clean textile plant and yeah. uh all the fire oh, okay. fire traps that he owns as well
1: right
0: yeah yeah that's right yeah um the i think the the, I guess we should point out some, some obvious, uh, German expressionism references in this movie yeah. yeah, specifically, you know, we've talked so much about Max, the, um, there's a lot of metropolis in this movie, specifically overhead shots that, um, look like shots of, uh, I think it's the Tower of Babel in Metropolis. Um, the way that Max is styled looks like the inventor, specifically his hair, um, in Metropolis. He's named after the actor in Nosferatu who played Nosferatu. Um yeah. and the other one is the one the other one that's pretty obvious is uh the penguins kind of styled after Dr. Caligari from the island of Dr. Caligari. And, you know, not the first time that um Burton has has stolen from German expressionism and certainly not the last and even in the previous Batman movie the the Joker was um so heavily inspired by Conrad Vight's uh, performance as the in the man who laughs but um whereas that movie was more of a mixture of noir and German expressionism and also uh whatever populist things that Burton had to work in like a dance sequence to a prince song um, this is just more goes all the way with the one-pointed sort of um, era of film or style of film
1: yeah 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 and then i was reading uh welch blending he said fascist architecture with world's fair architecture (laughs) for common city yeah um yeah i just it has that grandiosity and then when combined with the way that they they shoot them with the the angles they do and how big some of these buildings look you just get this feeling that it's um I know the World's Fair thing just makes it feel like it's the future even Mm -hmm. though it is coming back to you know some of these really old ideas and and architectures Mm -hmm. Um, it seems that we're in a a cutting edge place within their world yeah Uh, and it doesn't seem it's not it's not high tech but it's the um, sort of just this, this culmination of everything of society leading up to this point this very grand sort of moment of civilization which allows these big sort of operatic villains and um, settings to to look appropriate and still have the high stakes you know um, when I said the plot's not always easy to follow it's it never feels like smaller and significant It just yeah I just don't see the through line in it yeah. um, but you you do get that sense of I mean the the penguin itself is just such a sort of <laughs> operatic character just so grand and tragic in um, Max Trek as, as you said some of those some of those references to, to to film of that time period gives me that same vibe as well, and obviously Metropolis has that very um, cutting edge feeling, and what um, how how that is affecting humanity, I think, is something that shines through here, even though when it's not super leaned on.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, something else I. I think is really interesting and again something we've kind of made fun of when we were talking about No Time to Die how um, it was the fourth Daniel Craig Bond movie in a row where the villain says we're not that different you and I Um, but to talk about how this is done kind of well is I I think there's some a lot of really good instances of characters of our uh, core four characters sort of being paired with each other you know especially right off the bat you know uh, Bruce Wayne grows up in Uh, wayne manor right whereas oswald is kicked out kicked out of a manor thrown thrown down a tunnel where bats fly out as batman's theme music plays right and that opening credit sequence is also very reminiscent of the opening credit sequence of the first batman movie which i believe leads you down into the bat cave as uh danny elfman's uh, deeply fantastic theme plays um and you know there there are times when it's when it is actually vocalized but it's vocalized in a i would say more interesting way than than most times when villains and uh heroes say we're not that different or i guess this is vi- villains and villains or However, we're, we're calling yeah. <laughs> Oswald and Max at this point. But, you know, when he says, uh, Oswald says, odd as it may seem, Max, you and I have something in common. We're both perceived as monsters, but somehow you're a respected monster and I am to date not. Um, I find that to be a really interesting sort of encapsulation of their um, their relationship and their story that, again, they're so... They go so hand in hand uh, throughout the movie, or hand and flipper, and um, the the way that Oswald views himself as um, somebody, or the you know the way that Oswald sees society looking at him as a monster, and sees somebody society looking at Max as a hero. I think that that is kind of this this really interesting uh, relationship that they have together, and of course they of any combination of two characters in this movie they probably spend the most time together you know and uh, because their plots are so reliant on each other um yeah but even going back to the sort of more physical like um cinematography type pairing there are multiple instances of split focus diopters in this movie specifically when max is going upstairs to meet with the penguin and they sort of start to hatch their plan about um they're gonna make the penguin mayor they're both both in focus simultaneously despite standing far away from each other and that's the split focus diopter shot that was really famous in the 70s we've talked about or sorry really popular in the 70s um that we've talked about a number of times but it sort of keeps two things that shouldn't both be able to be in focus at the same time in focus like the foreground and the background are both in focus in half of the half of the screen um it was famously used a lot of times in all the president's men um and then that happens again when penguin and catwoman are meeting in in the bedroom it's the scene that begins with uh, catwoman on the bed as they're starting to work together um yeah. and they're linked physically like that um but you know it's it's different combinations of characters it's not the same things over and over again like uh i love the scene of. We get inner cutting of Bruce choosing between his the bat suit that he's gonna wear that day um in his very nice bat cave as Selena speeds away in her car looking rifling through her things trying to find her one ripped cat suit you know like he they're both kind of doing similar things, but they just have a totally different um level of resources, and maybe my favorite one is uh and again this is this is so much to uh so much because of Michelle Pfeiffer's uh, performance is the, the contrasting of Selena coming home uh, at the (laughs) first time she comes home and the second time she comes home and does the exact sort of same thing after, after Max has pushed her off the building, basically the transition to Catwoman scene. And, oh my God, it is so good. Those two scenes back to back. And it's, it's just this sort of, um, you know, this movie pairs so many different people with, with, um, with each other throughout the movie you know max and oswald as it pointed out um or selena and bruce but now this is like two versions of the same person in a movie that features three two or sorry two people with secret identities you know and i think that's that's a really cool um visual and performance-based encapsulation of that i think it's it's a really really effective um sort yeah oh
1: yeah um with I, I think it starts with Catwoman coming home, or I sorry, Selena coming home and listening to the voicemail she left herself. Yeah, which I, lo- I love that touch so much, and not just because it reminds me of the 90s, um, but yeah. uh, it's it really introduces us to this idea of the two Selinas, the Selina and the Catwoman, before that's even taking place, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that her going back is what sort of sets off that dual personality Um when she's killed and i'll say revived by cats or whatever happens yeah. There. <laughs> um, uh, yeah i love that one because it's so small and subtle and it's a good performance you're kind of piecing it together as it happens you know it's, it's a short moment but I, I don't know that's just one of those other ones i have a note about that it just it feels new and engaging and interesting but still does those things we talked about of introducing the concept of her having, you know, two different selves, which is, you know, very much pronounced very shortly after this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. though the, her coming home and it's just this one person performance. There's some gross stuff to it. There's just some very, she moves really interestingly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, yeah, the, those two together, I think are great. And then what you're saying about um, Penguin and uh, Max Shrek having, their duality i think that a lot of the time in all the different iterations the catwoman batman thing loses me a little bit and mm-hmm. this when it's just selena and uh bruce i actually feel like there is something there that i actually do care a little bit when the, when they figure it out at the, the dance while they're dancing together and they're the only ones not in costume but they are in their costume as far as you know their relationship mm-hmm. to each other and they're finally being revealed i think that um that stuff's done really effectively in this one and the you know when they're the when they're in their actual costumes you know when they're catwoman and batman um that stuff loses me a bit and as i said most versions of it but i really thought they they nailed that one well and i think it definitely is both of them just being good actors for when it really mattered
0: yeah no, I agree. I think the the scenes with them uh together are definitely compelling and while we're on the topic of uh Michelle Pfeiffer's performance when she picks up that taser in the first big action sequence um early on and she's like putting her glasses on that have snow on them and looking at the taser and then yeah. tases the it's just an unbelievable physical performance that is like ten ten seconds, but it's like a physical i it's funny to me. I don't know that it's intentionally comedy, but yeah. it's just sort of this, this physical movement that I think Charlie Chaplin would be jealous of, like this control over somebody's uh, body and their facial expressions. It's it's just really, it's a really interesting little bit of performance.
1: Yeah, yeah and I think you're right that there is, I don't know, for me at least, it sounds like you a few times, there's about a hundred different moments in this movie where I don't know if I'm allowed to find funny mm-hmm. and it keeps you on your toes, you know? And, and sometimes it immediately goes from... Um, you know, seemingly trying to arouse you, to trying to gross you out, to yep. trying to make you laugh, to trying to terrify you. It, it it really just pivots so quickly between those things. And you know, I've talked about how this um, doesn't all feel like one whole. But I, I think that that is one thing that I what I was just describing there is something that I do like about it. I think it's something that Tim Burton really leaned into in this one. And I think that is throughout his career there, there's black comedy and there's horror right next to to sweetness and levity. So um, that's all over the place in this one again.
0: Yeah, for sure. And um, going back to Oswald's sort of transition as, as he becomes more and more like Max, I I forget if we really elaborated on it but just the idea that his goals initially are so um they're so minor you know he wants to learn his human name is what he says you know and uh he just wants to go to the hall of records you know he wants to know who his parents are he wants to visit their graves um and
1: all like not even just normal but like kind of noble and you know sweet sort of endearing features of somebody
0: Mm -hmm. yeah exactly and it, it doesn't feel like it's meant to be a stepping stone to what happens later it doesn't feel like the uh the penguin has this sort of plan he doesn't plan what happens in the third act before the movie starts you know i don't i feel like he's sort of adapting as it goes and um i could see somebody who sort of pictures you know he has this big plan the whole time and he wants to um he has this sort of big villainous plan, and this is just the first step and the the way that max takes to him is just sort of an added bonus, you know, but it, it to me, it really feels like we're supposed to view him as somebody who has an extremely small moderate goal who then gets uh, caught up in something something bigger than he intended and and something um that sort of has an effect on who he is and and you know, as the idea that absolute power corrupts absolutely, you know, famous old old phrase that I don't really know the genesis of. Um, but basically, as soon as he has any power whatsoever, he starts to become more of a traditional villain, you know? And um, I think pretty much immediately upon starting his mayoral, mayoral campaign is when he's putting the button on the woman and, and uh, like groping her and then actively... Uh, talking loudly to himself about how how great it's going to be to do all this groping now that he's in power, um, I think that that combined with the way that he kind of turns on Catwoman, g- similarly to uh, Max, um, she does or he does a, Oswald does it later in the movie when, as soon as he finds out that, um, you know, he sort of misreads a, a situation with with Catwoman, he blames her immediately and attaches a uh umbrella helicopter to her neck and um essentially tries to kill her immediately and i think that um that is again that sort of portrayal of um the way somebody is affected by the outside world and and the circumstances um that they're given is is just a really interesting thing to be in this kind of movie you know yeah yeah and it's it
1: seemingly it's it all just becomes you know he was born with a body different than you know most people's bodies and that is what set everything in motion right and then all just uh horrible dominoes from something he had no control over
0: yeah and you can sort of imagine that you know tim burton isn't he's he doesn't strike me as somebody who started making movies to make money you know like um and i i find that true of most really really talented directors they kind of want to make the thing that they want to make more than they want to make money. And the money is just sort of an added bonus, but just the idea of somebody who started as an animator started by making movies alone in a dark room, um, then directing maybe I, I, you know, I haven't looked at the numbers, but probably at the time, the biggest movie that wasn't star Wars related, you know, that had ever been released in the world. Um, I wonder if that's sort of, uh, the way the sort of arc that Oswald goes on is sort of his reflection of um, somebody who Who's you know pulled into a world that they kind of never assumed that they would be a part of, and and how that can have an effect on a person. And I'm not saying that. Um, I think it's sort of more a projection of him worrying how that world would affect him, and maybe that being why he wouldn't want to come back to make another bat uh, make Batman Returns. Right. Um, yeah. It's just sort of like you know, sort of that kind of success pulls you into a totally different world, and and I find that um, a really interesting undertone of this movie is it. What feels like a character, if you put all of the Tim Burton movies um together and pick the one the character who's most like who you assume Tim Burton identifies with the most, you know, um if you just look through his filmography for Batman Returns in a movie with tons of characters, it has to be Oswald, you know that like that just seems like the one that he would probably most personally identify with, you know,
1: yeah, yeah, and he's it's the the idea of that outcast finding his way in society is you know i think as quickly as you could sum up tim burton's major theme
0: yeah um and and it's absurd that tim burton the guy who makes tim burton movies has made two batman movies that were such huge 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 uh successes like it just seems wild that he ever got the job you know <laughs> yeah so, then, i'm sorry to I, cut you off it just blew no i out.
1: just mean i guess the stakes were yeah Oh, no, but uh, I just mean that that's sort of the most basic summation you could take, and um, obviously that's underselling him, but uh, Batman is sort of a traditional outsider here, but (laughs) despite the fact that Batman's intro is him kind of musing in the dark alone seemingly until he sees the bat signal, yeah, um, yeah, it doesn't spend as much time with Batman's you know, becoming an orphan uh, there, there it sort of talks about him being kind of lonely with Selena, but you don't get the um for as dark as it is, it doesn't seem like his tortured loneliness is super central to this
0: mm-hmm.
1: like that that seems more as you said, to come from early Oswald and sort of bits and pieces throughout, but we just lose sympathy for him after he does some pretty awful things,
0: yeah, for sure. Um, going to what you were saying about the portrayal of Batman or Bruce Wayne in this movie. And, um, as far as, you know, you mentioned, you don't know what you're allowed to laugh, what you're intended to laugh at and what, what's supposed to horrify you sometimes. And I think that's true of most of Michael Keaton's line reads in this movie. Um, but the one that I've speaking to his loneliness and all that, when, um, Selena asks him. I think she just says girlfriend, like girlfriend question mark sort of thing, or as opposed to, uh, do you have a girlfriend? And his response is, sure. Like, he just thought, like, (laughs) he was being asked, uh, do you want me to be your girlfriend sort of thing? And and just the way he plays that is both, it is funny because he's so aloof. It's like kind of, it's not that similar to when he spits out the cold soup. uh, Or sorry, not that uh, dissimilar to how he spits out the cold soup, but it is still there's still like some real humanity in that. And I, th- I find that again, another, another interesting um, sort of two things happening simultaneously kind of thing.
1: You know? Yeah. And to talk about that, uh, so much of this existing in the middle ground and something could happen that will give your uh, emotional trajectory, a complete one hundred and eighty. Uh, Michael Keaton was known as a comedian up yeah. until the first Batman. Right. And mm-hmm. I mean, maybe largely still is, but um, that was one of the big, uh, criticisms or at least fears of the people who hadn't seen the movie yet, who only knew about the casting of the first one. So for him to be someone who is adept at making comedy out of nothing and um, playing, you know, what is sometimes is very brooding, heavy character, uh, literally a cartoon of that. Uh, he just has that, I don't know, agility that I think works well for a movie where Burton's trying to just just, oscillate so quickly between such extreme emotions so (laughs) it's it have a performer who as you said i think he kind of does the emotional stuff he needs to do here pretty well it's not you know the (laughs) kenneth lonergan film but (laughs) uh, you know i I think he does the dramatic stuff as well as he you, you know you would could expect um someone in a movie like this to do it but mm-hmm. yeah it definitely still has those comedic chops
0: yeah for sure and that, and that sort of aloofness and um existing between sadness and and comedy that exists pretty prevalently in in Batman uh, the first one he just has way more screen time in the first one um than he does in this one um and i don't know i don't i don't really have too much more to to add about this but i think the to go back to the idea that this is a movie that takes place at christmas and um the idea of an idea being sort of grabbed by society and sort of twisted and um the idea of this sort of quote-unquote you know it's a religious holiday that becomes a holiday about family that becomes a holiday about buying shit um yeah. i think i think that uh just i i just kept thinking to myself over and over again, it is wild that the villain in this movie is an owner of a department store. And I found that, that really compelling and um all of that coming together. And we talked about the, the way that characters are paired throughout the movie, the way that, or they're linked together, you know, um, Oswald's linked to Max Oswald's linked to Catwoman. Selena's linked to Catwoman. um, Selena's linked to Bruce, yada, yada, yada. All mm. of this is just, yeah. uh, all of these things are, um connected and the i i think the the core idea that we're supposed to get out of this movie and i i agree it's certainly messy but it's you know this is a type of mess that i'm always i'm always happy to sacrifice uh a little bit of clarity for just aggressive stylishness you know um because it makes it worth talking about 30 years later right um it might be a bit more confusing in the moment but 30 years later uh technology that didn't exist at the time of its release will be used to discuss it uh for an hour but um but i think the the way that the characters are linked and um what we're supposed to get out of this movie and i think that something that um really works for me is that this movie is linking all these characters and the idea of showing that um they're all human you know they're all human characters and that the idea should be um to sort of work together and and care about the others in the often in the same frame as you you know and in focus at the same time and and they just there are just wildly um different opinions on how that should be done throughout our our main four characters and i just think that um i I think it ends up being a movie about the potentials of society to corrupt somebody who may or may not have good good intentions and and i don't think the movie has it doesn't have a solution you know um That's typically good movies don't have solutions because if they have a solution, then the viewer's like, ah, oh, there's no way that'll work, you know? Um but uh, but I just find that to be just a really, really interesting thing. And the fact that it was packaged in what was probably the most expensive movie released that year or the pre- previous two years, you know. Yeah. Um I just find that to be endlessly fascinating. And I think that um in the environment it was released in, it's just this really cool. Statement that may or may not totally work, but I think it works more often than not. And I think the the um, attempts are valiant, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, Yo, no, absolutely. Yeah. And I
0: say that as somebody who typically is not the biggest Tim Burton fan, you know, I just sort of, I, I think this movie, there's something about this movie that really feels like um, he got everything he wanted for better and for worse, you know? And I think yeah. that uh, it's mostly for better. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> Cool. Uh, all right. Well, thanks for listening to the McGuffin, and uh, check back next time.